Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise God. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you want to turn to the book of Daniel this morning, chapter 6, the book of Daniel, chapter 6, I'm going to finish a series that I started right before Easter and a couple of weeks before Easter. And um, it was a series that I titled, In a World of Shock, and, uh, and How to Be a Daniel in a World of Cultural Shock. I'm going to do the last message this morning. I'm not going to go back and review. You can watch those messages uh, in the area of March, right before Easter. We preached a couple of those messages, so uh, you, can, you can go back and watch those. But as we begin to see our nation open up this morning, and as, we, as many areas of our country begin to come out of lockdown or come out of the stay-at-home orders, um, we, we, we are definitely stepping into a transition period for our country and for our area and for the church. There's definitely a transition time. But I will say this, and I'll have to be honest this morning, I've been stirred in my spirit this week, this week and I've been concerned by some of the overreach that we are seeing in, our, in, in some states, and I truly believe that it's not all about keeping us safe. And uh, this week, I thank God for our governor, and we in Indiana, we're thankful that we have a governor that acknowledges uh, righteousness, acknowledges God, and we thank God for him. But I do believe that there's something more to what is taking place than just uh, keeping people safe. And uh, I'm not one that buys into conspiracy theories. I'm not one that is, goes to the extreme, these extreme beliefs about certain things and, and uh, that some people are promoting. My wife will tell you I was as conservative as can be. And when it comes to conspiracy theories, I'm not so easily swayed because I know people's emotions and their idealism can take them places that they shouldn't take them. But I will say this, all, all, all of you, all you have to do is look at the hostility that has come from our culture towards God's people and towards the kingdom of God and towards the things of God. And what we have seen is, we've seen out of our national leaders, some of the hostility that has spewed out of their mouths and out of their lives into our culture. It reveals really what their heart is. When the governor of New York stands up and says, towards the end of the curve beginning to change in New York, stands up and begins to say, God had nothing to do with it. Prayer had nothing to do with it. That we are the ones that did, uh, that we are the ones that did this and no one else did this. I'm here to tell you that is a level of pride sometimes God deals with. And maybe the situation we're in in this nation is because men like that have shook their face at the hand of God and said, we are the ones that are in control of our lives. I'm here to tell you, God's in control, and God will do whatever it takes in order to break the backs of the prideful. You say, well, God's not mean. I'm not telling you God's mean. What I'm telling you is you get the nation you deserve. You get the people you deserve. Just like when Nebuchadnezzar stood before God and said, I built this kingdom. I'm the one that built this kingdom. The Bible said, and then then God came upon him and insanity came upon him and eventually broke his pride and turned back to God. Sometimes God sends us things in order to deal with our pride so that he can get our attention again. When we see the mayor of New York begin to attack other faiths and begin to arrest Christians and arrest Jews and begin hostility towards Christians because they have a desire to meet. When we begin to see that the the governor of a state that's right next to us begins to lock everyone down and begins to specifically target religious institutions. Now, we can question whether or not they should be operating or not, but I'm telling you there's more to it than just that. There's this hostility that is toward the people of God. And I'm here to tell you that when a Mississippi mayor handcuffs a pastor and drives him to church, drives him out of the church and handcuffs him and arrests him in front of parishioners and in front of people just for the mere fact of not because he has somewhat broken the law, but that he refused to bow down to the order that which that governor or which that mayor of that city had proclamated. And it was about embarrassing. It was about humiliating. It was about to put a foot on, put the foot on the neck. And I'm here to tell you that some of what's going on, some of what's going, not all, but some of what's going on is to put the foot of the world on the neck of the church and says, we dare you to get out of line. Well, I got good news for you this morning. 
I'm telling you there's a church, the church should be coming arrive, uh, arise and, uh, and come out of this. We should have been made in church long before next Sunday. I'm just telling you that. That's my own personal opinion, but you can take that in a cup of coffee. It won't get you much. I'm not, I don't have any influence over anybody. But I'm here to tell you, fear will drive people to the place. And I want to tell you to come to a place to believe that, that our world and that the church and that Christians are non-essential. I'm here to tell you we are the most essential thing in this culture right now. You say, well, that's awful arrogant, Pastor. Are you saying that doctors and nurses? No, I'm not saying that. I know they're essential. I know the hard work that they put in. We thank God for what God has used in those staff. But I'm telling you that we are made body, soul, spirit. Not only do we need to be repaired physically, but our spirits need to be revived. Our spirits need to be, be encouraged. Our spirits need to be dealt with. And our, our spiritual lives are just as important as the physical life, as the emotional life in our lives. Now, I'm not going to get off on a tangent this morning, but I'm here to tell you, I get Romans 13. I I get it. I abide by it. I understand it. I I understand authority. I've understood authority all my life. But I'm here to tell you that authority, the authority test ends when, when authority now begins to step into abuse. And when authority moves into abuse, just like David moved out of Saul's house, out he left the palace because Saul started throwing spears at him. And he left the palace. He didn't have nothing to do with rejecting the authority of Saul. But what he did was he removed himself from the situation. And I'm here to tell you that when governors and when, and when politicians and when leaders begin to throw spears at people, I'm telling you that's abuse. And God has never intended for us to stand in the midst of abuse and receive that abuse. You can still honor authority, but walk away from the abuse. And I'm here to tell you that the church has a constitutional right to meet and a constitutional right to be together. And we should honor. We should honor our leaders. We should honor them. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that our state or our governor was overreaching. But I'm here to tell you there was some, and we're seeing it. And so what I'm trying to tell you this morning is there's more to it than just trying to keep people safe. But when, but, but when from, we go from protecting the vulnerable to controlling the masses, that's when you've overreached. When you go from protecting those who need to be protected, which is the most vulnerable in our society that are affected by the virus we're facing, and you move into controlling the masses for controlling sake, that's abuse. And that's when the church needs to stand up and say, I know it's done through law, and I know it's done through order, and I know that it's done through the soft-spoken words of a tyrant leader. But I'm here to tell you, we have to understand that the church needs to know how to discern what is true authority, and when somebody has disqualified themselves because they move into the realm of abusiveness when it comes to authority. I'm not pointing fingers this morning. I'm just here to tell you. And I want to tell you, a few weeks ago, uh, I started this series on uh, uh, a world of shock, how to be a Daniel in a world of culture shock. So this morning, I want to talk about how to be a Daniel in a world of shock. Remember, I told you that shock comes from the word. It means this. It means a sudden upsetting or a support uh, or, or uh, uh, supposed event or experience. A shock is an unsudden uh, event that happens in our life that throws us off. It's an experience that we have. In other words, the culture shock or when culture is shocked, what I believe part of what the enemy has used this virus to do is to disrupt and become an attack of the enemy to disrupt the last day's church, to disrupt a church. And, and what is it designed to do? It's designed to divide us as a people, to get churches divided and denominations divided and to get people divided. It's, this, it's, it's, this, it's intention is to weaken the church that we become weak in our presence and weak in our influence and weak in who we are in our culture and weak in the hour we live in. And, and it, it's to make us vulnerable. It, it also is to dispel our purpose. In other words, to remove us from the trajectory that God has put the church on, to knock us off our rails, to knock us off our destination and our travel and our territory towards the perfect will of God for the church in this hour. And it's also to create a lack. 
to put the church in a place where the church has been affected to where we experience lack, and in that lack, we become insecure, and out of that insecurity, we do not have the ability to have an influence or difference in people's lives. But I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar. God's church is getting ready to rise up. We are coming out, and as things begin to open up, we're going to be stronger than we've ever before. We will not be divided. We will be united. We will not be weakened. We will be strengthened. We will not be dispelled, but we will fix our eyes toward Jesus, who's the finisher and finisher of our faith. We will not be in lack. God is our provider. He's our protector. He's the one that meets every need that we have. I heard all the prophecies of 2020 uh, at the beginning of the year. It said this is the year in which um, we're going to see clearly that there's the prophecies of clear vision to the church. I'm telling you, the clearest vision we can have is to live on mission and to have mission. I personally believe in some ways we haven't, we haven't been just exposed by the coronavirus. We've been exposed by the coronavirus and some of it isn't pretty. In other words, we've not just been exposed to the virus. I believe the virus has exposed some things about us in which I'm not too sure is pretty when we begin to look at it from the church's point of view. It has shown us many things that we really, as the church, as the whole, are really not ready for prime time. In other words, are we really ready for a real, a real last day's moment, a real last day's harvest, a real last day's hour. Now, I'm not being negative this morning. I'm telling you, this is our greatest hour. This is our greatest moment. But we cannot bury our head in the sand about the facts in which this virus may have exposed the church to or may have opened up and what we may have seen about the church. In other words, when I begin to think about it, we, we are less prepared in uh, all ways for, challenging the, for the challenging times that have been brought to us. We have been more addicted to our creature comforts than ever before. We are, we have, it shows that some of us have been more selfish than we had been previously willing to admit. It's showing that, that we, are, we are more faithless than we've ever imagined ourselves to be, that we've been more fearful than we ever considered ourselves to be, that we are more shakable than, than, we, are, uh, than we are comfortable in confessing. We are more misguided than, than, than we can even begin to comprehend. Here's what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying the church needs a word from God. And we can live above the fear and the hysteria that is overcoming so many. And we can live in such a way that we can shine in the darkness and be a hope for a, a, a flailing and fearful world. And so as I begin to pray about this and how we should come out, how we should come out into our communities, how should we come out as a church, I begin to recognize that the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the Bible gives us clear instruction. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is that saying to us? It's saying this, that the fact that prayer and worship aren't commanded just because God is worthy and demands it. In other words, we do it not just because God's worthy and just not because he demands it, because he does. He is worthy. He does command it. But we have to understand that God commands prayer and worship because it causes God. Listen, in the midst of prayer and worship, it causes God to release miraculous power in the midst of impossible situations. Do you know that when God's people are together and they begin to pray and they begin to worship, do you realize that in scripture we see the picture of God's power released into impossible situations when God's people pray without ceasing and when God's people pray and when God's people give thanks and when God's people rejoice always for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. When we do that, there is a release of power. But if the church can't meet, if the church can't, you say, well, we're meeting on live stream. Listen, no, no, you're not hearing what I'm saying. 
When we are gathered together in one place, when we are gathered together, unified together in one voice being lifted up toward God, there is a supernatural power that can be released in the midst of that prayer and worship that can change and literally turn the circumstances of our life. I'm not saying social media doesn't have a powerful stance. It can happen. God can touch you right there in your room. But that's about you. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the unification of the church and the body. And and it's one thing for us to get our miracle. And live stream, you get your miracle. Live stream, you can get a word. Live stream. But there's nothing like the assembling of ourselves together as the body of Christ. The coming together to do the will of God and to finish the work of God in our lives. I want to encourage you this morning, the children of Israel, in Exodus chapter 2, as they were in bondage and grew in number, and as they began to be under bondage and continue to be under bondage, in chapter 2, they cried out to God, the Bible said. They cried up to God because of the bondage. And when they cried to God, God spoke to a man named Moses in a distant land in Midian and tell him to go back and deliver the children of Israel. Moses obeyed God. He goes back and he tells the Israelites, he says, I'm here because God spoke to me in another land to come back and free you. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, them, they bowed their heads in worship. The Bible said they bowed their heads in worship before before a single thing changed in their circumstance, the Israelites believed and bowed their heads in prayer and worship. They chose to believe in the promise of God instead of panicking. In other words, they thanked God before they came out. They thanked God before they were delivered because they knew God heard their prayer. And the first thing they did was bow their head and pray and worship. And we have to learn that through prayer and through worship, that is the first thing that we have to learn to comprehend as the body of Christ. But if we're not together, we can't pray and worship together, which creates that bond. bond. And so we have to understand that when we come back together next week, we've come in here with promise, not panic. We've come in here to lean on God, not to lean on everybody else. We've come in here to seek God, to pray, to worship, and to seek his face. And before we could ever, ever finish crying out to God, he will send his answer to us and will lead and guide us into all truth. I'm thankful that God loves to lead his people. See, we see this also illustrated in the New Testament. Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail, Acts chapter 16. And it said, when midnight came, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. They were worshiping the midst of their circumstances, deep into the jail, deep into the caverns of prison, locked, shackled, locked down, nowhere to go, three three jail cells below, down before. They began to worship. They began to praise God. They began to lift up the name of Jesus. And the Bible said that while they worship and prayed, while they worship and prayed, prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake. Suddenly there was a... Do you understand the intervention that comes when God's people pray and worship together? That there is a supernatural intervention that happens. God shakes the place. God will shake the very place that you're at and that I'm at this morning. The foundations were shaken. The prisons were open. The prison doors were open and everybody's chains fell off. Everybody's chains fell off. Not just Paul and Silas, but everybody's chains fall off. Do you realize that prayer and worship, when you pray and worship and you begin to let God have his way in the midst of corporate worship, do you realize people's chains can fall off right where they are in the midst of God's prayer and worship? Nevertheless, they began to pray. And they began to worship and pray. Why? Because there were those that were listening. There were those that were hearing. There were those that are watching. I'm here to tell you there's those that are watching. Those that are watching the church. They may not be in the church, but they're watching the church. And can your prayer and worship have an impact on those that are just listening and those that are just watching? Can you have the impact that Paul and Silas had when their worship and their prayer went up? They had an impact on those that were watching. I'm not talking about putting a show on. What I'm talking about is genuine worship, genuine seeking God. When chains will fall off, when the supernatural shows up, Paul and Silas, and in other words, they were tapping in to the promise of God. They were tapping in to what God 
had provided for their life. Prisoners were listening. And just as the world is watching, what is the world seeing? Let it be faith-filled, fearless, compassion, generosity, generous followers of Jesus. And they prayed and worshiped. We're living in shaky times. All that can be shaken will be shaken. Either the things that try to hold us will be shaken. And by our prayer and worship, or will be held by the things that, sh- that shake us, we choose. In other words, you're going to be bound by the thing that bounds you. In other words, when you're shaken, when the world's shaken, if we don't pray and worship, we're still going to be bound by the thing that shakes us. Our world is being shaken. Our world has been shaken. The question is, have we prayed and worshiped like God has wanted us to pray and worship? Because when we pray and worship and things begin to be shaken, then the chains begin to fall off. Praise God. Praise God that he delivers us. The Bible goes on to tell us that in the light of that, of what was going on with Paul and Silas, that this jailer came and said, what must I do to be saved? He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible spoke, they spoke the word to him, and they went unto his house where his whole family, the jailer and his family, were saved after witnessing the power of God released by prayer and worship and Paul and Silas. I tell you, by reading that, that tells me this, that we are deemed essential this morning. You're deemed essential this morning. In other words, when you break up the assembling of ourselves together, you break up prayer and worship. And that is my struggle this morning with what overreach can do in our lives and how overreach can play a part. We must be cautious and we must understand that God has given us authorities over us, but we must understand there's a time for the church to be the church. But no greater example of how to live in troubled times than Daniel. In a world that has been shocked, culture full of fear and bondage and change, listen, our dependency or on government to fulfill our need to protect us and to keep us and to be kind to us. I'm here to tell you that what God is doing in this hour is he's breaking the church's dependency upon our government to protect us, our government to provide for us, our government to take care of us. Listen, we understand there's aspects of the government we enjoy and appreciate, but I'm here to tell you that most of us are so dependent on the government, we've lost our way to God, and I'm telling you, we hold them up here and God down here. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to shake us, God's shaking us back to prayer and back to worship. I remember if you read in the scripture of Nehemiah, when he began to rebuild the wall in chapter four, he began to rebuild the wall. And when he began to rebuild the wall, the broken walls, all of a sudden he had opposition. Uh, uh, Tobiah showed up and Sambalat showed up. And all of their friends and all of the officials of that region showed up and began to mock and laugh at the children of Israel. Begin to mock them because of what they were trying to do and what they were trying to accomplish. They became an obstacle to them. They began to protest and they began to, to, to make fun of them. And what happens was uh, Tobiah said it like this and Sambala said it like this. The walls in which you have built are so weak that even foxes can get over them. Foxes won't hold them back. In other words, your wall is weak. What you're building will not stand. What you're building can't last. What you're building, Nehemiah, is foolishness because it will come down. And there will be a day it will come down. I'm telling you, the world is looking at the church and saying, you can't build it. You can't build it. You can't build it. You can't build it strong. But all of a sudden, uh, Nehemiah was responding. Listen, this is what Sambala and Tobiah and the rest of those thugs didn't understand. What they didn't understand is, is that Nehemiah didn't build the wall. God built the wall. He just used the hands of Nehemiah. We have to understand that everything we do cannot be built by our hands. It has to be built by God's hands. And I know the world will sit back and mock and laugh and think it's crazy that we are religious and crazy that we want to pray during this hour. It's crazy 
crazy that we want to worship during this hour. We're crazy we want to come together this hour. But I'm here to tell you, God has built this church. He told them, he said that, 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 that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. And Jesus said to Peter, thou art right, Peter. And all upon this revelation, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And I'm here to tell you that the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us as long as we know who we are in Christ. Huh. Didn't mean to go off on that this morning. But here's the problem. Many of us are being shaken because our lives are built on fault lines. You know what fault lines are? Fault lines are those lines that run underneath the earth that cannot be seen. They are the lines that run through the earth. And I want to tell you that many scientists have identified fault lines in our nation. But do you know that people continue to build on fault lines? People continue to ignore that there's fault lines there and never deal with the fault lines? Matter of fact, there's places in our world they build beautiful houses and beautiful neighborhoods and beautiful homes on fault lines. Why? Of the hope that those fault lines and those tectonic plates won't move and that there won't be an earthquake. That's kind of like it is in our lives sometimes. We don't deal with certain things in our life or confront certain things in our life. They're really fault lines under the surface. And what happens is when those fault lines begin to move, everything that's built on the surface begins to shake. And I'm not too sure the church has not built some things on fault lines. And as the church is being shaken, God is beginning to shake it. What looks beautiful and looks pretty on the outside and looks attractive to the world and what we may call as something that we could be proud of. I'm here to tell you this fault lines begin to shake and now God is going to say I'm going to get you back to prayer I'm going to get you back to worship like it should be I'm going to get you back to doing the things you should be doing and the things you should be giving your life into as we move to Daniel chapter 6 if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 6 in your Bibles I want to share a couple of things with you this morning out of Daniel chapter 6 and begin to read here in Daniel 6 the Bible said in verse 1 it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of one whom was Daniel, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of an excellent spirit in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against him that they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor, uh, nor was there any air fault found in him. In other words, when we begin to look at this this morning, I want us to see that we understand that there's something in Daniel. Daniel's ability to live a godly life in a secular world, in a secular culture. You remember, they tried to change Daniel's, change his identity, change his language, change his philosophy, change what he thought, change his loyalties and trust. They tried to get him to eat of the king's table. I wrote something on Facebook yesterday that I felt like the Lord gave me. Daniel prayed three times a day, as was his custom, the scripture says. And it says that, that what happened is, is that when a world begins uh, to keep us from doing what is custom, Somewhere along the lines, something is wrong with that. Daniel was attacked for what he did as custom. Sometimes the greatest consequences is not obeying God in our life. In other words, in other words, there are some people that don't deem the church as essential. You know why they don't deem the church as essential? And why they don't believe the church should be essential? Even Christians don't believe the church should be essential. You know why? Because it's never been essential in their life. They've just gone to church. The church is only essential to those who are faithful to it and who believe that it's essential. Halfway Christians don't believe the church is essential. So they don't have a problem with the overreach of government to keep the church from meeting or to keep people from worshiping. You know why? Because the church is not essential in their life. The church is just like any activity in their life. And because it's not essential, they don't care that it's been shut down. They don't care that it's been nozzled. They don't care that it's been stopped. Because church doesn't mean anything more to them than just going to a music service or going to a place where they just receive some encouragement. 
I'm here to tell you the church is essential this morning because because those who are true believers realize that without worship and prayer and without the church's influence, this world has no hope but what the church is offering, which is Christ Jesus crucified, men set free, men delivered, born again in the name of Jesus. A little route up this morning. It's all right. Daniel here in chapter 6 is facing the opening of a new nation. The Bible said that Darius now overcome. The Medes and the Persians overcame the Babylonian Belshazzar. And now there's a new opening of a nation. And isn't it funny that the Bible tells us that, that the governors, that there were three governors that was put over all of the traps that, that Darius had put over and, and he put his own people in as he opened up this nation, as he opened up the Medes and the Persians rule, that he took a Jewish man by the name of Daniel because he trusted Daniel, because Daniel did not allow the king to suffer any loss. I'm here to tell you that the need for us this morning is to have people like Daniel. We must understand that in the reopening of our nation that has been in culture shock, that the world's greatest need this morning, the world's greatest need this morning is you. I'm here to tell you that the world's greatest need this morning is you. That's what the world's greatest need is. The world's greatest need this morning is not for another law, not for another stimulus package, not for another thing. The world's greatest need this morning is you. God has always chosen to use his people to fulfill his word. And as many as the church wants to retreat and wait for the return of Jesus and hide away in their little shelters and get out of the escape, the reality of the day we live in, that's fine. You can do that. But God has always intended the church to be the most attractive thing in the world. God has always intended the church to be the most attractive thing in the world. Listen, we can be in the world, but not of the world. I'm telling you, God can give us the favor to be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We can possess the qualities that the world would love to run to and to say, help us. Why? Why? We need, the church needs to be that influence where the world, when things happen like this that are happening right now in our nation, that the world runs to and say, help us, pray for us, be our answer, give us an answer. I remember years ago in my early Christian life, I remember after I got saved in the 70s, 80s, and and, and 90s, that when we went through something as a nation, that it was always, leaders always turned to godly men, always turned to men that had a word from God, always turned to men like Billy Graham that God used, and men that God had raised up in a nation, in an hour that we lived in. God was always using men like that to speak to the nation. But I'm here to tell you, I didn't hear those cries. Only from our president, only from our president did he reach out for spiritual help. But I'm telling you that most of the population of the world was saying, church, shut down, shut down, shut up, shut down, stop your voices, stop preaching, stop having influence. And I don't think that's all the world's fault. I think we have been and are lacking that we have We have not been attractive to those who want to seek help and know that we have an answer. In other words, this morning, verse 2, the Bible said, Daniel in the kingdom, it said that he lived a life that was in such such a way, verse 2 tells us, and he was over these three governments who Daniel was one, that the surtraps might give an account to them so so that the king would not suffer loss. Daniel was a servant to the king. Verse 3, how did he do it? Verse 3, and then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the surtrap because of an excellent spirit that was in him. How did Daniel do it? He distinguished himself. Daniel, Daniel, in other words, he distinguished himself in his word. He had influence in the day he lived in. In other words, he had influence in the world. He wasn't of the world, but he was in it. He wasn't in it and he wasn't of it. Daniel gave himself to the Lord. In other words, I can't look like the world. I can't look like the world or look like the culture. I can't reflect the world or the culture. I I have to be the one that sets the culture. And God wants to raise us up like Daniel. Daniel wasn't of the culture, but he began by his influence to set the culture. In other words, distinguish himself by exceptional qualities in his life. Some translation says that he had exceptional qualities. 
In other words, God's hope for society and the world culture is you. 2 Corinthians says we're ambassadors for Christ. That we are the ones that go before him as his representation. I love what Ephesians 3.10 says. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Hear you hearing me? By the church. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places. In other words, we are the ones that God wants to use to release his manifested power into the world. Daniel lived through four different empires. Four different empires, four different rulers, and Daniel found favor with every one of them. He was exceptional in the middle. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't rude. He wasn't, he wasn't turn or burn in her face. He wasn't difficult. He understood. He, he, he tempered what came out of his mouth. He tempered with his reputation, and, and he distinguished himself. In other words, he distinguished himself by his character. And verse 4 said they tried to find fault in him, but because he was faithful, uh, because he, he was faithful, they found in him no fault in his name. Now listen, it said they, they found no fault in him. They didn't say he was faultless. And I'm here to tell you that all of us as Christians at times, we can become faultless. We, can, we, can, we all have faults. I know Daniel wasn't a perfect individual. But the Bible said there was this unfaithfulness was not found in him. In other words, it was not part of his nature. It wasn't his practice, in other words, the word says. His practice was not unfaithfulness. His practice was not to have good character. It didn't mean that I'm sure he sinned. He had a sin nature. And I'm sure he made mistakes. I'm sure that there were things he wished he could have done and held back like all of us do. But in him, character was in him. I want to tell you that's what I admire most about the men that God put in my life. Like Cleddy Keith, he was more concerned with my character and my life and developing my character than what I knew. Seminary played a big role in my life and my education, but it was my relationship with Brother Keith and my relationship with men that helped develop my character. And God wants us to be like Daniel, where there's no fault found in us. In other words, we do it by living on men. Now, I want us to see something this morning. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to have to move quickly this morning. But I want to take you to a couple passages of Scripture because I want to prove to you that the Bible uh, encourages us to be the light of the world. That it's through us and our influence that God wants to use in the last day. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's our desire that we know that when the Spirit of the Lord comes, there can be deliverance and, de and liberty found. We don't want to do anything without the Spirit of the Lord. But look at verse 18. But we all. You understand that? It says, but we all. In other words, we are the ones that are to reflect the glory of God. How do we do that? Well, it goes on to say, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are to be the reflection of God's glory. Like Daniel was a reflection of his heavenly father. We are to be a reflection of our heavenly father. We are to be a mirror, a reflection into the world which we live in. And are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. What is it saying? <clears throat> that we are to be representative of God his glory should be on us. Out of us should flow God's glory. We should be the mirror image, the reflection of God to the world. Just as Daniel was a reflection of God to his world. Revelation chapter 4. Now this is where I want to go this morning. This is where I want us to get to this morning. If you give me just 10 minutes, I'll finish this up. But this is the word I want to get in your spirit this morning. We understand that Daniel had influence. He served four rulers. He had favor with all of them. He wasn't in the world. He was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. And we can live in this world, and no matter the circumstances going around and going on around us, as bad as things can get, we can have an impact in the world and have an influence. But this is where I want us to go this morning. I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 4. And I want to read a passage of scripture there in Revelation chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. Because I want to show you something. I'm going to show you a picture of God. I'm going to show you the face of God this morning. I'm going to show you what the face of God looks like. I'm going to show you in Scripture what the face of God looking back at you looked like. 
what the face of God looks like, what the picture of God's face is. You'll say, well, you'll have to prove that to me. Well, I'm about ready to do it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Bible said in the book of Revelation, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures. Now listen, in the midst of the throne, around the throne, in the center of the throne is what the translation is. There's only one that sits at the center of the throne, and that's God. At the center of the throne, it said, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. That speaks of omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-omniscient God. Look at verse 7. The first living creature was a lion, like a lion. The second creature, like a calf. And the third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like the flying eagle. Now, what I want you to see this morning is this. What you see there on the throne is you see an image, an accurate picture of God. Scholars believe that this is an accurate picture of God. Some believe that the four faces or the four creatures represent the four gospels. I believe that. I believe that translation is right. It's the image of what God looks like. That is what God looks like. Now you say, you've got to prove to me that that scripture is teaching that is what God's look like. Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. I want you to see this passage of scripture this morning in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, we begin to see that Ezekiel had the same vision again that John had. He had a vision of what God looked like. He had a vision of the face of God, the picture of God. Look at verse 10. As for the likeness of their face, each had the face of a man. Each, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. And each of the four had a face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had a face of an eagle. Here Ezekiel gets a glimpse into the same vision that John had. And we see it descriptive again here. You say, well, how do you know that's the face of God? Just look down to verse 28. It tells us what this image was and what the description of this image was. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Woo! Come on, y'all. That's a great scripture. You are seeing the face of God, the images of God, and I believe that Daniel, I believe that Daniel exhibited these four. So how do we be a Daniel in a world of culture shock, in a world that has been shocked? I'll tell you how. We reflect the very faces of God. Remember? Remember 2 Corinthians? What did it say? It said we reflect the image of God and we are being transformed into the image of God. What's the image of God? Revelation 4, 6, and 7. What's the image of God? Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10. That is the image of God. Who represents or reflects the face of God. I'm telling you, I believe Daniel had every one of these attributes in his life. Let me give them to you real quick, and we're going to close and pray. This is what I want you to see. You see the face of the ox. The face of the ox is the face of the servant. The ox is the one that carried things he plowed. Matter of fact, the ox was such, was such a constant servant that the ox even gave his life because the ox was even used as a sacrifice for the sins of others. In other words, the ox represents servanthood. You all realize Jesus was a servant? Jesus just didn't come to be served, but the Bible said that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm here to tell you that the picture of the ox is the picture of the servant. Do we want to know how we want to come out of Corona 19? How we want to be the church when we come back together? We have to, if we're going to reflect Christ in a world that's gone mad, in a world that's gone crazy, we have to be the face of a servant to the world. In other words, Daniel served Darius. The Bible said Daniel served Darius to the point where King Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, any of them never suffered loss. None of those kings ever suffered loss because Daniel was a constant servant. He learned how to serve. He served like an ox. He had the face of a servant. In other words, he met the practical needs of people. And I'm here to tell you that, listen, we meet the practical needs of people. And we should, we should be a church that's a serving church. We should be a people that's a serving church. We should feed the hungry. We should clothe the naked. We should be a servant 
But we don't serve because we just want to uh, end social justice. We take it a step further. We serve because we want people to see Jesus. We want God to open the door for us to share Jesus. We want to serve in our community because we want people to see Jesus. We don't do it because we get our name in the paper or because we get our name on a board or because we're recognized with a plaque or with a medal or because we get our name listed and so we get the accolades of the world of this earth. No, the church needs to learn how to serve because it opens the door to share Christ into the lives of people in the world. The face of Jesus, the face of God is that of an ox. It's that of a servant this morning. I hope you're hearing that this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, though I am free, Paul said, though I am free, I belong to no man. But look what he said. Look at this. This is the church. But I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? Paul said that all, that, that all may be one to Christ. In other words, all, as many that can be one as possible. Why are we servants? We're servants so that the gospel can change the life of people. And if we're going to come out of this thing, if we're going to step out, out of this thing, and when we come back together, the thing that's got the change in the church is we've got to take on the nature of the ox, the picture of the ox. We've got to be a servant and lead people in the servitude. Number two is the face of a man. In other words, Ezekiel says here that it's the face of a man. Revelation says the reflection of God is the face of a man. The face of a man that represents relationship. It represents relationship. What was God and man's intention? Fellowship. God created man so that for fellowship. God didn't create the animals for fellowship. God created man for fellowship. And then God gave the man a woman and God gave the man others so that he might have fellowship with them also. In other words, it represents, it's the face of God's love. Relationships are always an expression of the face of God's love. People, listen, this is why you can't argue doctrinal things with people. Doctrinal things never lead people to Christ. Doctrinal things never lead people to change. I've never been in a doctrinal argument when someone stopped in the middle of it and said, oh my God, you are so right. I'm changing my beliefs. No, you know how you change people? You know how you, you don't argue with the world. You don't, you don't debate the world. You don't try to out-intelligent the world. What you do is you love the world like Jesus loved the world. Jesus died so the world could be loved for God sent his only son into the world so that the world might be saved. That those who believeth on him might be saved and be changed. In other words, we're to love the focus and the issues. Listen, everybody's got issues. Everybody's got issues. But people will never let the love of God deal with their issues until first we as the church begin to love them. You want to win people to Jesus? It's relationships. You say, well, you got to prove that to me. I'm glad you asked. John 13, verses 34 and 35. This command I give you, this new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, listen, you love one another. And by this, listen, by this, men will know that you are my disciples. How do we prove we're a disciple of Christ? Because we are to love people. We're to love them where we are. We're not just to bring a judgment upon them and destroy their lives because they have failed or made mistakes. I'm telling you, some of you, some of those in the church, you're so judgmental that every time somebody messes up, you want to squash their life and destroy them and never give them a second chance. I'm here to tell you the love of God covers a multitude of sin. Those who learn to love are able to help people through their difficulties and the mistakes they make and through the things that they struggle with. Thank God for people that have a loving heart, that have the ability to let people live their life and work it out because God will work it out. If you, listen, if the Holy Spirit can't change them at that moment, what makes you think you can? You're not the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit in people's life where God has never given you permission to be. We're commanded to love people. And the face of a man is a representation of relationship. Number three, there's the, there's the face of the eagle. Man, I could sit here and tell you multiple things about it. Eagles have impacted my life in a natural way like you would never know. But the face of the eagle represents the majesty and it represents respect. 
It represents the, it re- represents the dignity and honor. I want to tell you that the picture of an eagle, the majesticness of that bird, it represents the face of God. That is, that is amazing. It represents the, the, the amazing work of God. It represents God's glory. It represents his, his, his powerful work. It represents his excellence. The eagle's face represents the excellence of God. In other words, we live in the world. We live, the church should live in a place where God so is reflected in the church that the world looks and says, man, that is amazing. That is amazing. That Wow, that is amazing. And I'm here to tell you that there needs to be like what was on Daniel's spirit of excellence that needs to come on the body of Christ. In other words, there needs to be the wow factor that comes back to the church. Not the wow factor that draws people to the place to admire you for what you have, but a wow factor that is amazing to see what God has done in the lives in our lives. In other words, in other words, reflect areas of our life that the ministry reflects areas of God. I want our children's church when people walk in go, wow, what an amazing children's church. Wow, what an amazing church. Wow, what amazing leadership. Wow, what amazing. I want them to see the glory of God and the power of God being flowed through this house. I want them to love the worship and say there's an excellence about I want them to drive on the property of River Valley and see that, that we've took pride in mowing the yard and pride in trimming the bushes and pride in keeping the property at a place when people drive in and say this represents God in a powerful way. I want people to live their lives where people say, wow, God must be there because of what God is doing in the lives of people. And it represents that spirit of excellence. It represents that areas of our church and that, that, that reflects God himself. I'm telling you, the church, when we come out of this and we reopen and we come out, there has to be a glory that comes on the church that has not been seen before. We've done church in a way, listen, I'm telling you, we have done church in a way that is almost embarrassing sometimes in the way we approach and the way that we approach the excellence of what God's doing. We don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. I want to tell you, there's much more, there's men out there that have the experience of excellence more than I do. But Daniel walked in excellence. He distinguished himself. He distinguished, the church should learn to distinguish himself. I'm telling you, our churches that look so broke down, beat up, wore out, smelly old sanctuaries. People don't care about the house of God. They'll go build new homes and buy new boats, but they'll let the house of God lay in ruin. And when the world walks in, after they've been in the theaters and after they've been in to uh, places of worship or or places of excellence, that the government they walked in the stadiums and arenas and they've been built with excellence. And they walk into church and it feels like it's like some kind of some kind of place out somewhere in the wilderness. They've never taken a time to paint the walls or never taken a time to do it with a spirit of excellence on it. I'm here to tell you, you want to reflect the excellence of God. We have to understand that we have to come out of this thing and realize the face of the eagle represents the majesty of God. You say, well, you proved that to me in scripture. Well, I'm glad you asked. Mark chapter seven, verse 37. I'm just going to refer to it. It says this, they were astound at this is, they're talking about Jesus. They were astound beyond measure. He has done all things well. That's what the scripture says. Mark chapter 7, verse 37. They were astounded that he did all things well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. The Bible says we are to distinguish ourselves in two ways. We're to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt preserves. Salt brings preservation. And we're to be the light of the world. What does the light of the world does? The light of the world lights up dark places. We should be walk in a way that where dark places begin to light up when we walk into them. We're to be the light of the world. We're to be like Daniel. We're to be like Jesus. When Daniel would walk in, the excellence of his life was on him. When Daniel would walk in, he would be noticed. Not because he stood out because of an outward thing. He stood out because he was excellent. Because he did things with excellence. He did it the way God wanted him to do it. And he found honor. He distinguished himself from everybody else. I'm telling you. I'm seeing how the world is thinking now and how the shifting of our world is changing. I'm telling you, the church, 
The church has to wake up. We better wake up. It's time. It's time to reflect the faces of God. It's time to reflect the face of God. And finally, this morning, I want to close with this, the face of the lion. The face of the lion is the picture of the face of boldness. In Revelation 4 and Ezekiel chapter 1, we see this picture of the face of God. The picture of the face of God is the picture of how God wants to reflect himself in us. The face of the lion is the face of boldness. It does not mean that we are to be silent. It does not mean that we are not to have a voice. The face of boldness means that we are to to speak when we need to speak. Stand up when we need to stand up. Isn't it funny? Isn't it just funny? We couldn't have church. Most governments shut down the state for church, and rightly so. We needed to be shut down for a while because we wanted to make sure to keep safe those that were most vulnerable. But what happened when it began to move into controlling the masses, this is what began to happen. What began to happen was is that we went from this moment of, of, of locking down the church, but yet people were able to go find abortions and to murder during this time. I'm here to tell you that is an unbalance. That is unbalanced. That is why Daniel looked at Belshazzar and said the writing is on the wall. Why? Because life is out of order. Why did Belshazzar, why did Belshazzar, why did God put the handwriting on the wall? What was God saying? He was revealing unto Belshazzar as he used holy things in order to corrupt the things of God. I'm telling you, Belshazzar put his things on things that were holy. Ungodly men that touch holy things, I'm telling you, judgment will fall on them. You say, well, that's awful harsh. I'm not trying to be, here's what I'm saying. The face of the lion is the face of boldness. We've got to speak up. We've got to speak up and act out. We've got to speak up and speak truth into the life of people. In other words, what we are seeing now is we're seeing, we're seeing those nation or those leaders that are overreaching. They're saying, shut up. Don't say nothing. Go back into your little corner and your little church houses and don't speak into this situation. I'm here to tell you it's time for the church. To be bold as a lion, as Proverbs 28 tells us. We are to be bold as a lion. And I'm here to tell you that as I have mentioned the scripture before, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. And upon that revelation, don't let the gates of hell prevail against you. There's a time we have to stand up and, 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 and step in and fight the gates of hell. We can't be silent. Uh, We've been silent, and we've seen what's happened in the world. We've been silent over the last two decades, and we've seen how our culture has changed. I'm not going to get on a rant about all the things that are going on, but I'm here to tell you there's a time for the church to come out. And if we're going to come out, we have to understand that we've got to come out in the reflection of God. What made Daniel different was he was able to serve four empires, and he never changed even though the culture changed. You realize that under four different empires, there was a different culture under each empire. Daniel did not change. He still served the same God. And when those governments overreached into Daniel's life, Daniel stood strong. Daniel prayed three times a day when the government said, you can't pray. And Daniel did it. It wasn't something Daniel started doing. It was a part of his life. And he stood strong. So how should our response be this morning? I'm going to close. This is how our response should be. Our response should be as it is in John chapter 1 and verse 14. How should our response to this cold, this world be this morning? I'm going to tell you how it is. Verse 14 of chapter 1, this is what the Bible says. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Wow. Wow. We beheld his glory, and the glory as of only begotten for the Father. Now listen, this is the last part of verse 14. Full of grace and truth. How do we be a Daniel in a culture world that has, gone, that has been shocked? How do we be a Daniel coming out of this season of coronavirus and all the things that are taking place? 
We really have not seen the complete effects of this virus yet on people's lives. The massive hunger that's coming, the massive lack, the massive financial struggle that is coming. And we still have not seen it all. How do we deal with this world? Like Daniel did. We reflect the faces of God. But Daniel, we have to operate like Daniel did. I believe Daniel operated in grace and in truth. Grace says God gives second chances. Truth says that Jesus is the way. Grace says we all have sinned. But truth says we can't call it okay. Grace says I neither condemn you, go and sin no more, but truth says God is not going to allow you to leave your life like it was before. That's truth. We need to live in grace and truth. Grace because we all need a Savior this morning. Truth, because it's only, that's the only thing that sets people free. We need grace this morning because we all need a Savior. We need truth this morning. You know why we need truth? Because truth is the only thing that sets us free. We can show grace. See, the problem is the church has learned how to show grace at times. But what's happened is we've not been bold enough to speak truth. The church has to take on the reflection of the face of God. As Ezekiel and as in Revelation has depicted the face of God in the center of the throne is the picture of the ox, the servant. We have to serve. It's the picture of a man, relationships. We have to love because God put love in us. Love one another as I have commanded you to love one another. So that the world may see that you are my disciples. We're to love, love one another. We're to be the reflection of an eagle. That reflection of the spirit of excellence. That reflection of desiring to have no fault in us. That desire to, to, to live out to do the best we can in everything that we do so that the glory of God can get the credit, so that God can be seen, that men can see God. That God's reflection is not only uh, uh, is something that is just thought about, it's something that can be seen. Because when we're salt and light in the world, the Bible tells us, it said that when we become salt and light, it says that they may know, they may know the glory of God. They may look at us and say, only God could do that. We must be bold like a lion. We must have that lion's face. We must be bold as a lion. We cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. Now, I preached hard this morning. I'm not mad. I'm just telling you. I want us as a church to come out stronger than we've ever been. And I'm going to pray for you this morning. If you don't know Christ... No greater opportunity to come to Jesus this morning. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you. If there's anyone listening that needs Jesus, if you're by yourself, I pray that you pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I want to be a new creature. I give my life to you today, and I pray that you wash my sins. I now believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was the Son of God. And I receive him into my heart for a changed life. Old things have passed away and now today all things are becoming new. I believe your word when it says, He that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you prayed that prayer, and if you're praying that prayer right now, this morning, you are born again. Thank God for you. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You're sitting there with a the loved one that's never received Christ this morning. We had a little child receive Christ a few weeks ago. He was sitting with his parents and asked his mom and dad if he could receive Jesus. And he received Christ into his heart this morning. Not this morning, but in the weeks before. Just a little boy watching our program, watching what's going on. And he's just hearing the hope and it's the Lord's dealing on his heart. Maybe somebody you're sitting next to right now as you're watching, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, somebody that's watching, maybe you can just turn to him and say, are you ready to accept Christ as your Savior? To see, this world's not perfect. Our church is not perfect. I'm telling you, we're not perfect. Daniel wasn't perfect. The Bible said the fault that wasn't found was in him. It didn't say there wasn't fault outside of him. 
And the thing is, is that God builds the character from the inside out. When God builds it in us, then it begins to flow out of us. And so we're always growing. We're always going from glory to glory. We're always being renewed. We're always being... You've got to give people room to grow. You've got to give people room to change. You've got to let people have room to make a mistake and let people have room to, to have faults in their life. And I'm here to tell you the most critical people in the world are the people that are the most messed up. And they feel like God has not really forgiven their sins, so they can't forgive anybody else's. They don't feel good about the fact, they feel ashamed about what's happened in their life, and they've not found freedom and identity in Christ in their life, so they have to project criticism on somebody else, because truly on the inside, they're not free from who they are. When you find freedom in who you are, then you're able to display grace onto the life of others. Critical people are unhealed people. People who always gossip are unhealed people. People who always got criticism towards somebody or a bad word to say about somebody are unhealed people. They're people that have struggled with God's authority in their life, period. Not just those God brings into their life, but God's authority, period. You say, that's a hard word. It is a hard word. But we're talking grace and truth this morning. There's some grace here, but there also needs to be some truth. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that your reflection would come upon your people this morning and be displayed upon God's people. I pray, that God, the picture of God, I pray, God, that you will reveal the ox in the church this morning. I pray that you will reveal the nature of man and the, and, and, and the relationship of the fellowship that God has designed man for in the church, that we be men that love, that we love one another. Lord, I pray the picture of the of the eagle will be revealed in the church that your majesty and glory will be seen by the world that has lost its mind they can say wow 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 your God's amazing that there be an infusion of boldness that comes into the church boldness of a lion thank you God for all that you do thank you for the hope we have in Christ and I pray that spirit right now on everyone Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.